0: On 1 a.m. on Wednesday morning during Something's Happening with Roy of Hollywood. If that's too late for you or too early, you can always listen on KPFK's archives at KPFK.org. Click on the show Dog Noir and extend your activism to include all sentient beings. Animals are truly the voiceless and could use a little help from us humans.
1: Yo, this is Immortal Technique. Right now, you're listening to KPFK 90.7 Los Angeles. Revolutionary commentary.
2: You know what it is. KPFK bringing you realness.
3: Peace. Harlem Street, stay flooded in white powder.
0: Good afternoon, KPFK listeners. This is Here in the City. It's the first Monday of 2011. I'm Sarah Harris, and it is 40 seconds after 2 p.m. We're here most Mondays on KPFK with Radio Realities from the Urban Landscape. On the program today, we take a look at censorship in the arts from the perspective of three exhibitions taking place in Los Angeles. But first, we'll do a little bit of news. Governor Jerry Brown was sworn in this morning in Sacramento. He told the audience that state politics had devolved into mere spectacle and, quote, that state politicians stay in their comfort zones, rehearsing and rehashing old political positions. In the face of a $28 billion deficit, in his speech, the new governor said, quote, the year ahead will demand courage and sacrifice. The budget I propose will assume that each of us elected to do the people's business will rise above ideology. There is no other way forward. We need to learn to work together as Californians first, members of political parties second, unquote. Brown vowed that any new taxes would have to be approved by voters. In international news, in the latest revelation from the WikiLeaks cables, the Guardian of London reports that back in 2007, the U.S. Embassy in Paris advised Washington to start a trade war against any European country that opposes genetically modified crops. According to the cables, when France attempted to ban a Monsanto genetically modified corn variety, U.S. Ambassador Craig Stapleton, a business partner of former President George W. Bush, told Washington to penalize the EU and countries which did not support the use of GM crops. The embassy advocated, quote, a targeted retaliation list that causes some pain across the EU since this is a collective responsibility, but that also focuses in part on the worst culprits. The Guardian also reports that WikiLeaks cables have found that U.S. diplomats around the world pushed GM crops as a strategic government and commercial imperative because many Catholic bishops in, de- in developing countries have been vehemently opposed to the controversial crops. The U.S. applied particular pressure to the Pope's advisors. <laughs> This is Here in the City on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, and 99.5 FM in China Lake. An archive of our show is available at hereinthecity.org and on kpfk.org. I'm Sarah Harris. We have had an unusual amount of precipitation in the last few weeks in Los Angeles, yet... The watershed of the city loses 70% because it's channeled directly to the ocean. This is a fundamental part of city history. The reason for it dates back to decisions made in the 1930s to channelize the Los Angeles River in order to avoid floods. But the LA River is a meandering body of water that can be powerful in times of generous rain and anemic in the summer. Now, almost 85% of the water that we use in the city of Los Angeles is imported from the Colorado River and from Northern California. But what if we could capture and save the water that falls from the sky in quantity, as it has been in the past few weeks, so as not to take water from other places that also need it? Well, the Department of Public Works has been working hard on that question. In collaboration with dozens of national and local nonprofits ranging from the Natural Resources Defense Council and Heal the Bay, the City of Los Angeles has been changing the landscape and helping Los Angeles residents to collect rainwater from heavy rains so that it can be stored during the dry months. I went to the Department of Public Works to talk to the person in charge of stormwater for the city. His name is Sharam Karagani, and I asked him this question. What could we ideally do to store all that rainwater?
4: Water rights have been challenged for humans for centuries right now. And as the population and demand on the water for north of us because of agriculture and from Colorado and all the states the demand on those waters have become, you know, higher. So as a result of that, for us, we have to create and become more sustainable with the rainwater that we captured. And if I'm hoping that one day, not there, but if everyone gets involved and do their part, one day we could capture, you know, the rain that you see outside right now, uh, if we could do that, easily we could uh, supply half of the drinking water so we don't have to rely on outside you know water sources that may not be reliable
0: so if every home in the city of Los Angeles were to collect its own water during rain events how far would that go
4: It goes a long long one way on, on two front two dimension one obviously as, as we're discussing to to offset the drinking water you know needs the other part right now when when the water is escapes and come on a street, it, it is you know, it's going to be mixed with the, all the pollutants that we have on the street, oil and grease, bacteria, metal, trash, and that end up right through the pipe to the ocean, and then people go and surf and swim over there. So by uh, doing and capturing the water on site before it becomes mixed on asphalt, you're doing two parts right now. One just to make sure that the drinking water is offset, and the other one to purify the water and prevent the pollution of going to the ocean.
0: What would be in the city of Los Angeles right now if these types of extreme events keep happening which for all intents and purposes there's a reason to believe that there will be extreme drought and extreme rains what would be the best and the worst that the city's doing right now in terms of what we actually really need
4: i think the best is that you know the the city of los angeles citizen back in 2004 they pass a proposition, it's called proposition, or because it takes resources. It was for $500 million, Uh, I am pleased to let you know that off of that $500 million, we are doing uh, some 36 projects. These are huge, what we call regional projects in the different city parks and in different public right-of-ways that is capturing the rainwater so we could put it to good use and so we don't have to use the drinkable water. So that's that's one, and then obviously, you know, that, that investment, you know, uh, as we uh, uh, broadcast and outreach to people, they would see where the projects are. Now, on the more more local basis right now, for folks to make sure that the water does not escape on the property and somehow it, the rain gutter are, are diverted to their landscape, That those are the small things that they could do in order To capture the rainwater harvest.
0: What about businesses?
4: Now, businesses right now, the low impact development is going to apply to them. So anytime they have a chance of uh, expanding or, or redevelopment, obviously I mentioned to you that uh, the ordinance would require them to capture the f- what we call the first three-quarter of an inch of a, a rain over a 24-hour uh, period. So they would do their part that way. The other thing, you know, if you walk in downtown Los Angeles, for instance, on 11th and Hope, you see there are series of what we call a, a greening the streets. So we have taken the parkway, uh, and uh, and we have made sure that you know when the water comes in the gutter, we have made uh, uh, cuts in the gutter so the water actually rainwater goes inside the landscaping that we have created in the parkways. So we are using that kind of you know technology and strategy for some of the areas of the city when the opportunity, you know, provides itself.
0: And the last question is the Los Angeles River itself, the channel. There have been countless discussions about what's wrong with it, and as you pointed out, this is a result of engineering in the 1930s, but we're dealing with the consequences today. So are there any projects in the works for the Los Angeles River and better ways of managing the water that lands there?
4: The answer is yes. Again, as a part of that proposition, you know, uh, oh, there are a series of projects that are we are doing adjacent to the uh, Los Angeles River to make sure that first the water that comes to the river is much, is filtered and cleaner. That's number one. And uh, there are a number of what we call Clean Water Act uh, regulations. President Nixon you know, passed the Clean Water Act back in 1972. There are series of amendments in '78 and '87. As a result of that, there are series of mandates that the City of Los Angeles Bureau of Sanitation and I, as your representative, uh, have to comply with. And these uh, mandates are intended to clean up the water. Uh, some of those are are called a trash TMDL, total maximum daily load, and that term means that the maximum trash that the City of Los Angeles is allowed to to discharge to the LA River, which is zero. So we have series of these mandates for trash, for bacteria, for metals, for oil and uh, grease, pesticide, herbicide. Collectively, these uh, mandates would make our rivers, streams, lakes, and ultimately, you know, the Santa Monica Bay Cleaner. Keep in mind, we are California, and most people come here because of our beautiful waters. And by cleaning up the waters right now, we are ensuring that, you know, a state that is known for both uh, good weather and water, you know, is kept for f- future generations.
0: Thank you very much for speaking with us.
4: Thank you so much. My pleasure.
0: And you can find out more about the city's rainwater harvesting program at larainwaterharvesting.org and at our website here in the city. That's H E A R in the city.org. Are you happy? You're listening to Here in the City. I'm Sarah Harris. On each show, we pick a topic that affects people and places across Los Angeles. And we travel around the city to hear what community stakeholders have to say about it. On today's Here in the City, we're looking at art and censorship. Last month, Republican congressmen John Boehner and Eric Cantor ordered the removal of an artwork from the National Portrait Gallery's hide-and-seek exhibit at the Smithsonian, claiming it was, quote, an outrageous use of taxpayer money and an obvious attempt to offend Christians during the Christmas season. Major museum funders threatened to pull their money out in protest. The director of the National Portrait Gallery resigned. The piece in question is called A Fire in My Belly, a short film meditation on the ravages of HIV and AIDS, made in 1986 by artist David Wojnarowicz. Here in the city's Jesse Lerner has this take on how other museums are protesting that censorship by the Smithsonian.
3: UCLA's Hammer Museum is currently screening David Wojnarowicz's short, silent, experimental Super 8 film, A Fire in My Belly, continuously as a looped video in the lobby of the Billy Wilder Theater in Westwood. This screening and other showings of this work at dozens of museums around the country is both an acknowledgment of and a protest against a shameful act of censorship that played out at the very end of last year. The Smithsonian's National Portrait Gallery in Washington, D.C. organized an exhibition called Hide, Seek, Difference and Desire in American Portraiture, which included a four-minute extract of the film along with works by the likes of Thomas Eakins, Walker Evans, Georgia O'Keeffe, and others. The show, according to the Smithsonian, is, quote, the first major museum exhibition to focus on sexual difference in the making of modern American portraiture. Vocal right-wing Christians attacked the exhibition and likened one shot in vojnorovich's piece to hate speech. The shot in question, an image of ants crawling over a crucifix, is part of a dense montage of footage that the artist filmed in Mexico. A slaughterhouse, masked wrestlers, mummies, a cockfight, and appropriated images from the likes of Jesus Helguera, Jose Guadalupe Posada, and the tabloid daily Alarma. The Smithsonian quickly buckled under the criticisms of Christian fanatics and congressional threats and removed the work in question from the exhibit. Shortly after this disgraceful censorship, Two protesters entered the National Portrait Gallery with iPads playing the now absent artwork hanging from around their necks. They were promptly removed from the museum and banned from the premises for a year. All this seems unnervingly like a throwback to the culture wars of the 1980s in which Wojnarowicz was also a target. Marx was right about history repeating itself. At the Hammer Museum, you can see the offending work. To their credit, the Hammer curators are showing the complete piece, not just the four-minute excerpt that started the controversy. Admission is free.
0: Fire in My Belly is at the Hammer Museum right now. We'll have a link to it on our website, hereinthecity.org. This is Here in the City. I'm Sarah Harris. We're talking about the arts and censorship on today's show. David Alfaro Siqueiros is known as one of Los Tres Grandes, the three major Mexican muralists who depicted and helped define national and international images of post-revolutionary Mexico. In 1932, after having served prison time for his political views in Mexico, Siqueiros came to Los Angeles to work. The artist had mastered an outdoor mural technique with a workers' rights painting at the Chenard Art School, which is now Cal Arts. That piece, called Street Meeting or Mitin Obrero, was painted over, whitewashed for its socialist content. Shortly thereafter, Siqueiros was commissioned by patron of the arts F. K. Ferens and wealthy city booster Christine Sterling to paint a mural on a beer garden wall above the Italian Hall at Olvera Street. That mural, titled America Tropical, figures prominently in Los Angeles art history, in no small part because it, too, was whitewashed shortly after it was completed. America Tropical sits at the center of an exhibition currently on display at the Autry Museum called Siqueros Censorship Defied. I took a tour with the curators of the show, Lynn LeBate and Luis C. Garza, to talk about the circumstances around the creating and subsequent covering up of that mural.
5: Behind you here you see the America Tropical mural, at least the essential figure of the America Tropical <coughs> mural. And uh, this is the cause of controversy. The central figure is not painted until the day before the, or the night of the opening of the actual exhibition on, on October the 9th, 1932. Siquedo sends everybody home, all the workers he sends them all home and in the middle of the night he comes back to paint the central figure thus unifying the entire mural and making his political statement and what is the statement the statement is la america tropical oprimida y destrozada por los imperialismos tropical america oppressed and destroyed by imperialism.
2: I think what he may have considered is that there is it's in the direct line of vision of City Hall so he made a statement that could be so easily seen from City Hall um, this very anti-imperialist statement um, that did not sit well with the city fathers so it was finished in 1932 Um, within a few months the one-third of it that could be seen from the street was whitewashed and then they they're not exact we, we've not been able to find the records so the whitewashing took place it, it didn't take place over a year and a half it probably happened very quickly but it was noted that by a year and a half after the mural was painted that it was totally whitewashed so the
0: central figure he saved for the last evening do you think I mean, what's the story behind that was did he know that nobody would like it and that they would complain <laughs>
5: Well, uh, he did the same thing with the first mural at uh, uh which is the red-shirted orator. Uh, he sent everybody home, and he he knew that that is the unifying theme uh, that will cause the reaction from some positive, from others negative. So he saves the best for the last.
0: And Lynn is, he, she's smiling next to me also here.
2: Yes. I, I mean, he, that was his uh, his working, his modus operandi, was to paint the outside, which was very benign, or, or the outlaying sides of the murals, very benign, and then to come in and paint the c- central figure himself. That way he was able to employ other artists to work with him, and uh, because muralism is really a, a collaborative effort, as any any working muralist will tell you. So there, Siqueiros is with a crew of 15 or so set painters on this enormous
0: facade. Mm-hmm. The scene is set for a central figure that doesn't appear till one evening after everyone has gone home.
5: The evening before the opening of the mural on October the 9th. Um, the Los Angeles Times provides the documentation for that, which shows a photograph of Securus with some of his workers standing on scaffolding in front of the mural and there the the double cross is sh- shown with the eagle but there is no central crucified figure that comes later on that evening after he sends everybody home and by himself he is painting that central figure for the following day's opening of the mural.
0: And how is it revealed? Where is this documented that it was revealed?
5: A columnist by the name of Don Ryan who writes for the Herald Examiner does this wonderful descriptive uh, story of the mural opening to the public that evening and he describes it as a uh, Uh, Rain is coming down. There are floodlights on the roof. The fire department is encouraging people to come up and down off the roof because they're afraid of the weight of people up on the roof. And Siqueiros is there as the grand conductor, uh, speaking to people about this mural that has just been revealed to the public. And Don Ryan speaks of the dynamism of uh, this mural and how uh, it... uh, Will forever impact and change the history of Los Angeles.
0: Was it ever referred to as censorship at the
2: time?
5: Uh, within some circles, yes. Uh, Schiffer Goldman, uh, who uh, the art historian who uh, begins the documentation of this mural, refers to uh, a double censorship: uh, the first being uh, the outright whitewash of the mural, and the second being a benign uh, indifference which is a form of censorship.
2: But that was in the late 60s and 70s. I'm trying to remember from the 1930s, 1932. Did the word censorship appear in any of those uh, um, newspaper articles? I
5: think yes. Um, the one that I come across is by uh, Arthur Millier, who is an art critic uh, for the Los Angeles Times who is a real source of information in terms of Cicados in that time here because he was documenting uh, many of Cicados' uh, uh, movements uh, in Los Angeles. He was also a, an art instructor at Shenard. He writes in an article in regards to that first third whitewash and it's the first mention within uh, a newspaper uh, by a journalist And that is in, I believe, May or August of 1934 that he mentions that the first third of this mural has been censored and whitewashed. And he speaks to artists' right versus property rights. And he raises the very question that is in the heat of Los Angeles right now with artists and with the city in regards to censorship and art.
0: That exhibit, Siqueiros Censorship Defied, is at the Autry Museum and closes on January 9th with poetry readings in honor of Siqueiros. You can find details on that at theautry.org. You're listening to Here in the City. Art in the Streets is set to debut in April of this year at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Los Angeles, or MOCA. This show is planned to be a comprehensive statement on international street art from the 1970s to the present moment. The exhibit has already drawn attention in artist circles and in international press prior to its scheduled opening, primarily because of the whitewashing of one of its commissioned works. As part of the Art in the Streets exhibit, Italian street artist known as Blue was hired by MOCA to paint a mural on the north wall of the Geffen Temporary Contemporary in Little Tokyo. The images of coffins draped in dollar bills, a direct commentary on the U.S. Defense Department's refusal to allow photography of soldiers' coffins returning from the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. The museum had the mur- mural removed just after its completion. New museum director Jeffrey Deitch explained to the Los Angeles Times that the work could be seen as offensive by other members of the Little Tokyo community that is home to Japanese American Veterans War Memorial and to the Veteran Affairs Hospital. We wanted to get a sense of how street art and whitewashing continue to affect local artists in Los Angeles. So we asked Alex Poli, who goes by the name of Man One, and who directs Crew West Gallery downtown. Man One was instrumental in organizing permitting for a 10,000 square foot graffiti mural on the Los Angeles River in 2008. The mural was later ordered whitewashed by county supervisor Gloria Molina. Here in the city's Luis Sierra Campos asked Man One what he has to say about censorship of street art in Los Angeles.
1: It continues to show how relevant street art is and how powerful it is because if it's making people, you know, react this way where they got to you know they gotta buff out an entire wallet they just paid for because they're scared of of the repercussions of what the image said um, or the statement that's being made I mean I think to me that's great that's powerful that's like you know um, there's no bigger uh, you know compliment I think to an artist than like you know we're scared of what you're saying you know because uh, we don't know who might not agree with it and it might and we might get into who knows what, you know, lawsuits or lose money or have less people attend our shows or whatever the results may be. They're just coming out of uh, out of fear um, instead of uh, a powerful position, where you know, Mocha could have taken and said, well, you know what? This is one of the artists that we believe in. And this is the statement he made because, you know, they don't have Mocha doesn't have to say that they made the statement because they didn't. Blue made the statement, you know, but they could have, you know, backed them up and said, "This is what the artist is saying, and this is how he feels, and uh, let's create dialogue. You know, that's why artists create pieces of work. That's why museums are supposed to show these pieces of work so that there can be dialogue about it. So that um, you know, you can't please everybody. Right. Um, and you have to at least back up the artist that you're representing, you know? Uh, To me, it's just a matter of respect for an artist, you know? And, um, you know, one of the things that... The first thing I I thought about when I heard this whole thing going down was, you know, Barbara Kruger's piece that was up on the opposite, um, on on the same building but on the opposite side of the wall, um, and how much um, Mocha did back her. I mean, they had community meetings with people for months and months. And Barbara Kruger even changed her artwork from her original concept um, to be able to produce a piece that was more sensitive to the community, et cetera. So, you know, when MoCA wants to work with people, they can, you know? And that's all that it felt to me it was just like a form of disrespect, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, what I think I, I want to tell the young artists who are out there is that, you know, don't take anything for granted. You know, um, when you do your work, someone's someone's actually going to be moved by it or touched by it or pissed off by it. So when you put something up, make sure it's something that you really mean and something, a statement that you really want to make, uh, because it doesn't go up um, unnoticed, you know. And um, you know, so uh, I like to encourage young artists to really put thought and, and process behind their ideas. Um, when they're when they're creating whatever it is, especially if it's public, all of us should really um, be up in arms when things like this happen. You know, because these liberties that we have in this country are very fragile, and we take those for granted as well—that they're just always going to be here. You know, I mean, people had to die for a lot of our, you know, uh, rights that exist, and. Um, you know, if, if people wouldn't have got pissed off about, about females in the workplace or about females voting or about um, civil rights for African Americans or about immigrant rights now, you know, then things will, will have never changed. And art is usually the first vehicle to go out there and attack something or make a statement about something. So you really need to, like, support artists when they're making statements, especially statements that... Whether you agree with them or not, we do have rights in this country, and you know we need to we need to work on uh, on pushing those limits because there's so many forces, uh, especially for young people. There's so many forces out there telling them that that they're really insignificant and that they're really you know don't don't add up to much. Except uh, uh, you know at the end of the day, they're uh, they're another demographic to sell to. But other than that, there's not a lot of positive stuff going on. Um, on a daily basis, and that's what art provides. Art provides a story, and uh, and a history, and um, and a uh, you know a, a hope for what you can do with your life and how you can make a statement and be somebody. So you know, I just tell people to really stick together when stuff like this happens and and voice your opinion and 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 now now more than ever it's easier to voice your opinion because you can get you know on the blogosphere you can get you know you can put up art you can do whatever you want to do to voice your opinion. And so I think people need to to really utilize their voice.
0: Here in the city, did Ask Mocha, and they say that they've invited Blue to return to Los Angeles to paint another mural. Blue's mural will be included in the catalog that accompanies the exhibition. And that's it for Here in the City. I'm Sarah Harris. We'll be back next week with more radio realities from the urban landscape. Thank you so much for listening and for supporting the station. Deadline LA is up next. Peace.
3: Think Green. Toxic Toy Guide is next on Think Green. If you like Think Green, please join me, Harrison, right here on KPFK each Monday.